introduce myself a little bit because I feel like it's been a while since I've been in front of y'all, and I don't know if uh, people uh, on Facebook kind of know who I am, but my name is Amos. I am the uh, small group and outreach coordinator here at the Village Church. Uh, I'm also the pastoral intern, and again, it's my joy, it's my great joy to, to stand before you all today. Now, the uh, text that uh, Pastor Alex read uh, just for you uh, a few moments ago is the text on, on which uh, the sermon today is based. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to James chapter 5, verses 13, and I'm only going to go through verse number 18. Now, the shorter catechism defines prayer as an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. My brothers and sisters, prayer is the supernatural power of the church. And it is my great hope today that by the end of the sermon, you understand the importance and the power of prayer. It is also my hope that at the end of this, by the end of this sermon, that everyone, every one of you understands your importance to the family of God and also your importance to the kingdom of God. Because I believe this text shows us that God has sovereignly ordained the prayers of spirit-filled righteous people to be the agency of healing and salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll say that again. God has sovereignly ordained the prayers of spirit-filled righteous people to be the agency of healing and salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, my preaching professor from Beeson, uh, Dr. Uh, Robert Smith Jr., would say, I'm Trinitarian, so I got to say it three times because I really want y'all to get this. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. God has sovereignly ordained the prayers of spirit-filled righteous people. That means us, the church, to be the agency the instrument, the means of healing and salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer to ask him to bless our time today. Father in heaven, you have given us this powerful gift of prayer. Right now, in this moment, I uh, pray that I would decrease, that you may increase, uh, that you would be glorified through my words on today. Lord, I pray that the truth and the reality of the gospel would jump from the page of your scriptures into the hearts and minds of your people. Let it go deep penetrate deeply into the hearts and minds, even into the emotions. Lord, if there is someone who hears this today, Lord, help my gospel proclamation to be clear 
so that the gospel will continue to grow those who already believe in you, but that it would also begin a great work in the lives of those who do not yet know you. I ask these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So my friends, my family, Village Church, our journey has brought us almost to the end of the book of James. If you all remember, uh, I took the task about two years ago to start preaching through uh, the book of James as an experiment. Y'all have been my guinea pigs uh, as an experiment uh, to uh, preach through an entire book of the Bible for the first time. And we only have one more sermon after this one uh, left in this book. So I'm thankful uh, to the Lord Jesus for the privilege to preach this epistle in its entirety. And I pray that the Lord Jesus has been glorified in the process. Now, as a way of reminder, the book of James, uh, the, the purpose of James's letter is to remind his readers that faith works. He's reminding his readers that genuine faith is active. Genuine faith is both active and effective. My brothers and sisters, genuine faith is not lip service, but there is a spirit-filled ethic that accompanies spirit-inspired doctrine. And so in James's view, there is no true biblical orthodoxy without true biblical orthopraxy. Now, although we can affirm that right believing produces right living, right living is the confirmation, the affirmation of right believing. So in James, the two cannot be separated. And uh, the bishop of African-American Presbyterianism, the the modern African-American Presbyterianism, Dr. Carl Ellis Jr. would say that theology equals ethics. And what Dr. Ellis means by this is that our theology and our ethics are sides of the same coin. And this is confirmed in James's writing. And James recognized That his audience that he was writing to had fallen on hard times. In verse 1 of chapter number 1, we are told uh, that this letter was originally sent to the 12 tribes of the dispersion who were were scattered abroad from Jerusalem. Now, many of these people uh, were suffering uh, trials, tribulations away from their homeland. But James, he does something very peculiar here uh, in, in, in this letter. James starts the body of his letter in chapter 1, verse number 2, by telling these diaspora Jews who were suffering to count it all joy when they met trials of various kinds. Now, my brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but when I fall on hard times, that's not the kind of encouragement that I want to hear. I want to hear, hang in there, you're doing a good job, but I don't want to hear, count it all joy when you face trials of different colors, various trials. 
And in our text today, chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, James begins to conclude this letter in a very similar way to the way that he started it. He ends this letter with a call to action. James has, again, been making the case that genuine faith is active. And he concludes the letter by calling this community of faith to the greatest action of all, prayer. For some of us, that sounds counterintuitive. Because when we think of calls to action, prayer may not be the first thing that we think of. But James knows the power of prayer. He knows that God has ordained the prayers. He has sovereignly ordained the prayers of spirit-filled people to be the agency of healing and salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. So in verse number 13 of chapter 5, he encourages his readers to look to Jesus in all circumstances. In verse 13, James says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praises to God. Now, my brothers and sisters, there are two times when Christians are tempted to turn from Jesus. And those two times are when things are all bad and when things are all good. So how many times Have you fallen on hard times? And I mean really hard times. I'm talking about debt up to your eyeballs. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you're having issues in your marriage. And then all of of a sudden, out of nowhere, your car breaks down or the hot water heater blows and floods your house. I'm talking about real hard times. But also, have you ever experienced the season in life where it seems like everything is going well, like everything you do uh, turns to gold. Everything you touch turns to gold. Your debts are paid. You, You get a promotion on your job. You get a new car. And the reality is, for some of us, our natural inclination is to forget about God in either situation, when things are going good or when things are going poorly. And so when things are going well, we take the credit that belongs to God. Because we we read even in James that all good and perfect gifts come from our Father. But when things are going well, we take God's credit. But also when things are going bad, we forget about God We don't go to him in prayer. We don't seek his face. We don't look to Jesus. We try to fix things on our own without looking to Jesus. But my brothers and sisters, my encouragement for all of us today is when things are all good, look to Jesus. When things are all bad, look to Jesus. When you find yourself in the storms of life, look to Jesus. When you're up 
Look to Jesus when you are down in the dumps with the blues, like my mom used to say. Look to Jesus in every situation, through every circumstance. Look to Jesus. The Greek word translated here as suffering in verse 13 gives us the idea of an outward oppression or opposition. Uh, But in verse number 14, the Greek word translated sick gives us the idea of an inward suffering or illness. In verse number 14, this is apparently a severe debilitating illness that has left the person weak and immobile. And James tells that person to send for the elders of the church to exercise this supernatural gift of prayer on their behalf. And the elders are instructed to pray while anointing the sick person with oil, which is a symbolic act that sets the person apart for God's special attention. The oil is symbolic. It has no power in and of itself. Anointing oil is used throughout the scriptures to set people apart for God's special attention. Aaron was anointed with oil in Leviticus 8 as he was set apart for the priesthood. David was anointed with oil by Samuel in 1 Samuel 16 because God had set him apart to be the king of Israel. So, my brothers and sisters, the oil is significant because it sets the person apart for God's special attention, but the power is in the prayer. The power comes from prayer. In verse 15, verses 15 through 18 demonstrates this power that comes from prayer. Verse 15 tells us that it is the prayer of faith that will save the one who is sick, which again demonstrates that the power is not in the oil, but the power is in prayer. But it also tells us that it is the Lord who will lift them up. And that if the sick person has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Verse 16 tells us to confess our sins to one another so that we may be healed. And verses 17 and 18 give us a biblical example of the power of prayer being exercised by the righteous person. Now, my brothers and sisters, the construction of these four verses raises some serious questions. First of all, what does it mean that the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick? Second, what is the relationship of sin and sickness and prayer and healing? Third, how is it that both prayer, how is it that both the prayer of faith And the Lord Jesus received credit for working to heal or raise up the sick person. 
we're going to camp here for a, a, a moment because this is, this is where I pulled my thesis for this sermon. My thesis, again, if you don't remember, because I want you to remember it, is that God has sovereignly ordained the prayers of spirit-filled righteous people to be the agency of healing and salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first question, what does it mean that the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick? In verse 15, the question arises from the word, the Greek word translated save. It actually may possess a double meaning here. It may carry the idea to save both physically and spiritually. Because James uses the word again in verse number 20 of chapter 5 to, to address the eternal state of the soul. We also see the idea of healing and salvation coupled together in Scripture, uh, such as when Jeremiah prays to God in Jeremiah 17, verse 14. He says, heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me. And I will be saved for you are the one I praise. But here in this verse, the force of the Greek word translated save. The force of the word in that verse is directed toward an actual bodily, physical healing. And we see prayers for physical bodily healing in the scriptures. In places such as Numbers 12. When Moses pleaded to God to, he, to heal Miriam of her leprosy. So the meaning to save in verse 15 is to save from physical sickness, perhaps with an eye also toward ultimate salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And now the next question that arises arises from verse 16, where it states, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. The question is, what is the relationship to sin and sickness and prayer and healing? Is James saying that sin causes sickness? And is he guaranteeing that the prayer of faith will heal the person who is sick? And those of us who are familiar uh, with certain biblical stories, our mind will likely go to John chapter 9, when the disciples asked Jesus if the condition of a blind man was caused by his own sin or if it was caused by the sin of his parents. And Jesus's reply in John 9 verse 2 was, it is not the sin, it is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So, is James teaching something different from Jesus in John's gospel? The simple answer is no. James is simply acknowledging the truth that some sickness is a result of sin. And there is a ultimate truth that the fall produced sin and death in the world. So James is simply acknowledging 
that some sin can be a result, some sickness can be a result of sin. And he's also acknowledging that sin can be an obstacle from attaining true healing. He is saying that if someone is healed from their sin because the question arises, is he guaranteeing that I will be healed from my sickness? So he's saying that if someone is healed of sickness, it will be a result of the prayers of righteous people to the glory and through the work of Jesus Christ. Now, the last question arises when you consider the implications of verses 15 through 18 together. How is it? That both the prayer of the righteous person saves and heals. But the text also says in verse 15 that it is the Lord who will raise up the sick person. Well, my brothers and sisters, it is because God has sovereignly ordained the prayers of righteous people to be the agency of healing and salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a helpful analogy. I really I really wish I'd come up with this illustration on my own, but I can't take credit for it. But here's a here's a helpful illustration that will help us understand this truth. A lumberjack uses an axe to chop down a tree. Who or what is responsible for the tree being chopped down? The axe or the lumberjack. It is actually appropriate and acceptable to say that the axe chopped down the tree and to say that the lumberjack chopped down the tree. Now, if it's not clear to you, my brothers and sisters, in this illustration, God is the lumberjack. We are the axe, the agent, the instrument. And the healing and salvation are the tree that has been chopped down. So God has sovereignly ordained the church as the instruments, the agents for his glory, for his healing and for his salvation. This is why your importance, you, 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 this is why your importance to the family of God, to the kingdom of God cannot be understated. This is the importance This is your importance to the family of God. In Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, Jesus declares that he possesses all authority in heaven and all authority on earth. But then after he has resurrected from the dead, he turns to his disciples. He turns to the church and he uh, delegates his authority He delegates his authority to the righteous people of God, instructing them and guaranteeing them to make disciples of every tribe and nation and tongue, declaring that he would be with them to the end of the age. And my brothers and sisters, through prayer, God has granted his church gospel power and gospel authority. And I need you to understand that. I need you to 
feel comfortable with that, to know your importance to the family of God. You're not doing this without God, but you're doing this with the authority that the Lord Jesus Christ has given to his church. And in order to solidify the power of prayer that the church has, James uses the prophet Elijah as an example in verses 17 and 18 to show that this supernatural gift is not reserved from for for some super Christian or some spooky a hyper-spiritualized person. But this is a gift that, that has been granted to all those, all of us, brothers and sisters in Christ, who have been declared righteous by the Lord Jesus in his death and resurrection. So my brothers and sisters, if you are a believer, again, I want to encourage you to look to the Lord Jesus, remembering the supernatural power that you have in prayer. And my brothers and sisters who may not yet be a believer, I want to encourage you as well to look to Jesus in prayer because Jesus will save you from your sins if you look to him in prayer. My brothers and sisters, remember who our God is as you approach him in prayer. This is the God who in Exodus 19 declares that the whole earth is his. The God who in Exodus 34 says, I am the God who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, giving steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sins, but who will by no means clear the guilty. This is the God who in Psalm 2 looks out at the earth and says, this is all mine. And he looks at his enemies, his would-be enemies, and he laughs at the schemes of the enemy. This is the God who has promised us that he will never leave us that he will never forsake us this is the god who died for his enemies this is the story the gospel is the story of a hero dying for the villain my brothers and sisters i encourage you look to jesus when you're up look to jesus when you are down look to jesus if you have problems in your marriage i have no other answer for you look to jesus in prayer if you're having issues with your health, look to Jesus in prayer. If you're having financial issues, whatever you may be dealing with, whatever comes, whatever goes, look to Jesus in prayer. He has the answer. He is the way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And all that we need is in him. My brothers and sisters, want you to understand how important you are to one another. This passage encourages us to confess our sins to one another so that we may be healed. Again, I believe there's a double meaning there. I believe that 
there's true physical healing that can take place. But that also spiritual healing can take place as well. I want you to think of it this way. A person who is addicted to alcohol, they drink in excess, which is a sin. And a sickness that can result from that is liver issues. This is a tangible, real-life, real-world way that sin can affect a person's health. But also it can impact that person's relationship with other people. And for healing Genuine healing to take place, even within their physical body and within their relationship with other people, confession may be necessary. There are certain things that people just can't get past until confession and forgiveness are done. And the Lord Jesus has so ordained us has so ordained prayer, has so ordained the church that we can honestly meet out forgiveness for one another. That is a genuine reality which begins the healing process. Some of us are dealing with things in our lives now that may be from the past or from our present that we still deal with Simply because we have not confessed those sins and because we have not started the process of forgiveness and healing. But my brothers and sisters, we have a supernatural gift that if we but if we would but exercise this supernatural gift that has been given to us by our Lord. Things will happen. Because the black church where I came from, they used to say it like this prayer changes things prayer changes things i don't know why prayer works the way that it does but i believe that it works the way that it does because my bible tells me so and i know that if i go to the lord jesus john 14 tells us that if we ask anything in the name of jesus he will do it and that phrase in the name of Jesus means that we ask things that are agreeable to his will. That if Jesus is going to put his stamp of approval on it, it better be accord. It better be with in accordance to his will. But the reality is that we can go to our Lord Jesus in prayer. He will hear our prayer and he will work on our behalf. But as Pastor Alex always says, do you really believe it? Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your gospel truth. We thank you that the God-man, 
Jesus, who is truly God and truly man, died on the cross for our sins and resurrected. Which gives us the freedom to come before you in prayer. That we can repent of our sins and that we can be healed. Healed of our sins and even healed of our physical ailments. Healed in our relationships. Of our mental health issues, Lord. I believe. I believe that you are a God who can heal. If you did it then, you can do it now. So, Lord, we thank you for this rich gospel truth. Thank you for the power that we have. Lord, I pray that we would exercise this this power, this supernatural gift. Is in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit that I do pray. Amen.